Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 33 of the Ben and Baz Show. I'm Baz. I'm Ben. What's going on today, man? It's great. It's March. It's warming up. If we could get rid of this coronavirus thing, uh, life would be perfect yeah, right now. Yeah, that part's it? not great. It actually is kind of scary. I just I pretty much never get that off topic in class, but yeah. we spent like five, ten minutes just talking about coronavirus in class and what does that mean for the students. But I teach in the room before, Ben, and I started bringing it up with my students so it had them wanting to continue the discussion. So I basically wasted 10 minutes of Ben's class uh, time today. Sorry, I man. Wouldn't say, I wouldn't say wasted. We just used it differently than I thought we were going <laughs> to. But yeah. coronavirus, I mean, we've talked about the last few weeks, so we don't really need to beat it up again no, here. No. But it continues to bring down the market along yeah. with some other things that we'll get into here. Mm-hmm. Uh, another roughly 5% down as of the time we're filming this or recording this now. Uh, but one thing I wanted to uh, bring up, as long as we're talking about investing in the market, mm-hmm. is the idea of ETFs versus mutual funds versus just just buying individual stocks anyway. Yep. So Because I acknowledged last week how I tried to jump in on it, but then I was a little bit late on it and bought a mutual fund, which gets you in at the end of the day of trading. Exactly. Right. So when you buy a mutual fund, you're essentially pooling your money with a bunch of other investors, and that pool then is used to buy underlying assets. And so mm-hmm. mutual funds, they trade at the end of the day because you're actually buying into those assets. And so it's, you know, that's the value that it can be set at the end of the mm-hmm. day. Here's a net asset value and that's what you're buying in. So if there's a day like today where the market's going to drop 5%, it's great to buy a mutual fund yeah. right? where the market's going down that mm-hmm. you'll put in your order in the morning. Over the course of the day, it goes down 5%. You get in at that lower price. Yep. Um, Mm-hmm. Contrast to that, what I like to do is exchange-traded funds or ETFs, which are gaining in popularity. Mm-hmm. And so when you buy an ETF, you're still usually buying into a big group of funds. But whatever the plan sponsor is, that plan sponsor actually owns the fund itself. So they own the underlying assets. For example, S&P 500. Yep. The, say if Schwab sponsors it, then Schwab's going to own, let's just say, one share of every company in the S&P 500. Yep. And if I want to buy in, I'm not buying into the actual shares themselves. Mm-hmm. I'm buying into the fund that Schwab created. And so mm-hmm. that fund itself trades on the exchange just like a normal stock. So I can buy it during the day. I can sell it during the day and everything like that. And so it tracks close to the S&P 500 then, right? So very, it's not very like close. Yes. If you have so what, what happens then if there's a lot of demand for that particular ETF on that day? Because with other stocks, if there's more demand for it, that'll trigger a higher price, right? So if I buy in, what what kind of happens to that then? It doesn't all of a sudden jack up that price higher than what the the S&P 500 would be at, exactly, right? Exactly, because the fund only owns those underlying mm-hmm. assets, and so if you buy into it, you're buying from another investor. Because there's got to be a counterparty that's willing to sell for a certain price. And so when you buy in, you're not driving up all the stocks of the S&P 500. Um, You're just finding another investor who wants that fund. Okay. Is there a reason why someone would buy into an ETF as compared to a mutual fund? Because we talked on last week, I bought into a mutual fund. I think you bought, what is the ETF? Is it VOO? VOO. So Vanguard is the one that sponsors it. Just an S&P 500 because... What I love about both ETFs and mutual funds, I don't have to pick a winner and a loser. For stocks, right, Mm -hmm. I might get lucky and make a bunch, or I might get unlucky, and even if the industry goes up, lose a bunch for any one individual stock. Mm -hmm. And so um, with ETFs then, it's why I tend to go that way is that they're pretty much all passively managed. Now there are actively managed ETFs, and with mutual funds, there's passively managed mutual funds and actively managed mutual funds. But when I think ETF, the first thing that comes to mind is low-cost, passively managed investment. So nobody's going to be making a whole bunch of trades mm-hmm. um, for me. Where with a mutual fund, when you want to buy into it, well then sometimes, or you want to sell it, mm-hmm. usually it's on the sell side. When you want to sell a mutual fund, then whoever's running that fund has to sell the actual assets of the fund. Sell itself, the underlying assets, yeah. Which okay. triggers a taxable, I know you love this, yeah. triggers a taxable <laughs> gain for yeah. you. And so as owner of a mutual fund, you have less control over the tax impacts of that fund, if that makes sense, the yeah. personal tax implications. Yeah, totally. And so... Mm-hmm. Um, I Do you know, know if ETFs pay dividends? Do you know that or yes, not? So, okay. Yes, and so those dividends can be reinvested automatically. Mm-hmm. But if you receive a dividend from the ETF, 
that is taxable to you in the year you receive the dividend, assuming it's not a tax advantaged account. Yeah. So it's not like, like you can avoid taxation on an ETF uh, that way or it's, something like that. Yeah, but, not with the dividends, the but, dividends. but you have avoid more control gains, with the capital gains. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so you can you know hang on to it till it's long term versus with mutual mm-hmm. funds, there's they look at asset turnover within the mutual funds and the higher the turnover, the greater the tax impact is going to be. And you don't get to control the timing of when that happens. Interesting. So when I, next time I go into Schwab and I want to do just a, a standard S&P 500, I should maybe look into the V. Well, no, you said it was Vanguard. Well, I could probably find the Vanguard one. Well, Schwab is Schwab, so. with a broker. Yeah. And so I like Schwab because no no fee trades, which we've talked yeah. about on here Absolutely. before. But um, so using Schwab doesn't mean you can only buy Schwab products. So I have Vanguard and a BlackRock one as well. But Honestly, the reason I chose those funds, if it's the S&P, just looking at it that way, is a low expense ratio. It's 0.04% and 0.03% on VOO. That's what I like about it. Yep. Um, looking at an article here, this is roughly a year old, but they said the average U.S. equity mutual fund charges 1.42% in annual administrative expenses. Okay. And the average equity exchange-traded fund charges 0.53%. Okay. And so the reason those are higher than what we're talking about is you can get pretty exotic with whatever you want to track. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to do, say, like international small cap companies, mm-hmm. it's harder to figure that stuff out. Yeah. And so it's more expensive for the fund then to manage that and find the investments and mm-hmm. you know buy them. Now, if it's a buy and hold, that's where the fees are lower, right? You're not mm-hmm. paying somebody to analyze the companies all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's wide ranges, but just personally as an investor, I prefer pretty much any fund with a low expense ratio. Yeah. Um, and absolutely. I'm not a big active investor, but with the way the market's been going, everything has been going either up or down. Mm-hmm. When the market's um, stagnating, it's pretty constant. That's where active investors can make money. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. since I've been investing, we haven't ever really had <laughs> yeah. had that type of situation. Totally. So here's a question for Ann Schwab because we were talking about them. Um, do you think since they have uh, ended up uh, since they ended up eliminating the commissions, do you think that over the last several days here, the couple of weeks when the markets have been so volatile, do you think Schwab would be doing better than the market or worse than the market? Mike, because I will say, so my Schwab stock is doing better or worse. Yeah, than how the is Schwab stock doing comparing to the market? And I will tell you, my guess was wrong, and now I've paused back to think about why it was wrong. Where I would leading? think. Schwab is doing worse than the that market. That is correct. That's correct. No. But it has nothing to do with their trading fees. Well, the, in my mind, it has nothing to do with their trading fees. So why? Yep. What's going on? Well, they're down about a third. One of the overall markets down 20% or something like that over the last couple of weeks. I thought about that and I was like, with all these trades going on right now, that's better for a brokerage account, except a broker, a brokerage firm that has eliminated trading fees no longer benefits for that. Mm-hmm. So where does Schwab you know, earn more of their cash? You know, just just uh, account balances as an example. So account balances are probably significantly smaller now, such that if they're charging fees based on account balances, those would be going down. If I'm thinking about that one right. I see. My guess is that the reason they'd be going down would be interest rate environment. That, so that as well on the excess cash they the, have. Yep. The Fed cut rates unexpectedly. Yep. And mm-hmm. so that that would be then banks lose the most when feds cut rates because mm-hmm. they're not going to be able to charge as much interest. And so yep. I thought that would be driving them down. I, I, that, I assume that's probably another big one there. Just when you you have a large pool of assets that suddenly lost 20% of its value. So <laughs> if you've got fees on those, interest on those, you just don't have as much. Would have been interesting had they not cut their uh, trading uh, their trading commissions. Would have been interesting to see if their stock might not have got punished quite as badly just because maybe they'd be making more commissions in this time of market volatility. I don't know. We'll never know because we'll they, never uh, know. <laughs> well, we can speculate, which is way more fun than yeah. knowing anyway, isn't it? That's about it. So. Yeah. Well, interesting. So that's ETS with mutual funds. There's no ever one investment that's right for everybody. But personally, I like the ETFs just because they're lower cost. Usually mutual funds mm-hmm. can be pretty cheap too. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're both good ways to invest without picking one specific stock. Yeah, I like it. So I think that, yeah, the question is kind of, do you do an ETF or do you do like an index mutual fund? I, I see that um, just whether it's an ETF or index mutual fund, they generally, what what do they say? Only 20 to 30% of actively managed mutual funds will outperform an index fund. And I, that's going to be similar to an ETF. And, at that point. and what's so. crazy about that. So with mutual funds, there are you know, literally thousands of mutual funds mm-hmm. out there. When you have enough mutual funds, enough people trying to outperform the market, 
market, mm -hmm. inevitably some are going to do it. Yeah. Even five yeah. years in a row, inevitably some are going to do it. Mm -hmm. And so what often happens with a lot of the reporting on mutual funds is we only hear about the funds that are still around, that still oh, succeed when some funds true. fail. Yeah. So in fact, sometimes um, whoever is like running the mutual fund, it's almost like a little incubator mm -hmm. that they try a mutual fund for a few years internally. Yeah. And we never hear about the ones that fail. We only the ones that they bring to market are the ones that have been succeeding and beating the market. And so um, then now that's we're drifting a little bit, but it is just totally fascinating of, uh, of how that looks and how you can find plenty of news stories about funds that, hey, I beat the market five years in a row or 10 years in a row, mm -hmm. but just, you know, say you flip a coin, right? If you mm -hmm. flip a coin enough times, sometimes you're going to hit heads five times in a row. Yep. And so yep. similar idea. Well, it's interesting. So as you were saying that, I looked up something on CNBC in here. In our command center? I, in our command center, yes. And I, I guess 20 to 30% of mutual funds outperform the market. On CNBC, they're saying over like the 10-year period, only 15% outperformed the market. But to your point, and that was over a 10-year period, that might not include all the ones that have failed as well. Over so, that same 10-year yeah, period. So the result could be even worse. Yeah. So. so we don't really know, and I bet that number mm -hmm. isn't even known. How do you compile that from all the different mutual funds that are out there, mm -hmm. including the ones that, that have started failed, and that failed? That'd be the tough part. It'd be very tough. Mm -hmm. Research idea for our <laughs> listeners out there. Yeah. That's right, that's right. Do you wanna talk taxes? Are you ready? I do. I, I'm actually, you know, we're getting towards the end of ta personal tax season and uh, doing personal income taxes is fun. I really enjoy it. It's a good time. Mm -hmm. so. they're, they're very, very fulfilling. I, I told Ben, so I, you know, we both left the CPA firms, the professional world. So I was doing international tax for a living. Ben was working in audit of big corporations and then within a big corporation. I like to say that, you know, had I been doing something like individual tax returns, I think that would have even been a little bit more fulfilling the direct human contact with the people who I'm saving the direct dollars for. Wonder if uh, I would have left for sure, um, but it's, uh, I mean, you never know, but I just you know, find the, the concept of helping people with their personal taxes fascinating. How about as a promotion for Ben and Boss? Yeah. You, uh, you'll do one of our listeners' taxes. Okay, well, I, maybe this will work because the guys that founded Trink, uh, yep. not to be confused with Ben Trink, he stopped in my office already today for help on his taxes. So does, does that count? So. Yeah, he actually stopped in after my class, after stopping in at your office. Yes, uh, yes. Because he said there was a couple numbers he forgot to ask about. Oh, so, is that what it was? Yeah. So he's asked, we, we, we've both helped someone today already, but uh, we're not sure if he's a listener. We'll get him to listen for a minute so we can say we're helping our listeners with there taxes. There you go. But what I thought would be fun to get into is just looking at um, taxes from the political landscape of things. So, and the most interesting one to, to, to look at, there's a variety we can hit on, but certainly is uh, the Democratic tax plans. Now that we're mainly down to two, two candidates, I think there's a distant third one that hasn't dropped out, but uh, we basically have Sanders and Biden right now that have very different tax policies. Um, Biden's, in my opinion, is not, not that far off from where we currently have. He would raise some rates. Uh, but uh, but Sanders is significantly different. So so I, I spent a lot of time doing research, going through his website, and I thought I would just share some of these. And I don't know, you can ask questions, give color commentary, really whatever you would like. Did you but, go to www.bernietax.com? It's it's somewhere within there. Yeah, it was either Bernie Tax or it's. Uh, but it was it was somewhere within there, basically. I just googled so, since you've been uh, talking about it and the. Uh, X in tax is actually a percentage sign. Oh, I didn't. You know, I was on there last night, and uh, these, there's a lot of nice links in there. And I'll say, you know, listeners, they've obviously got their own. Whenever we throw out the names of Sanders, Biden, and Trump, the people that that's going to spark an emotional reaction in a lot of listeners. But we're just going to try to present the information, share some thoughts, and you make your own decision on it. So we've got well, what happened with the with the recent Trump tax reform, recent a couple of years old now. But one of the things is the top individual rates dropped from thirty nine point six percent down to thirty seven percent. Um, the under Bernie's proposal, those tax rates would go back up. Uh, and actually under Biden's proposal, they would also go back up to 39.6%. Biden would reinstore that top rate. But Bernie wouldn't stop there, all right? Bernie would actually raise rates as high as 52% on those that are making more than $10 million. Um, both Biden... Um, What's that? Interesting. Maybe my BernieTax.com probably. There's, there's different levels. Go yeah, ahead. He said 20 million per. Did I say 20 million? No, BernieTax says 20 million. 
BernieTax.com, but I don't think that that's uh, oh, as reliable as whatever research that uh, you did. Whatever so. I pulled was just a side-by-side Joe and Bernie. So, and it's but, probably uh, a pretty fluid situation, too, I imagine. You know what, I, what I'm what i betting that we're oh, finding single different? Versus single married, versus married. Yep, only. yep. So I'm prob- right. I probably found the single ones here, because yep. so, that's going to come in later. So, but anyway, so 52% Bernie would go up to, Biden would go back up to 39.6%. I think that this one would have... Some bipartisan support to go back up to at least the 39.6%. Last year in my capstone class, we did kind of a survey of CPAs who are, by definition, a more conservative group. And uh, there was a certain faction of the of even the CPAs, uh, even those that identified as more fiscally conservative, that would have been okay with that top tax rate staying pretty close to 40%. So 52%, that's a little higher. That is a little, I'm inter- that's interesting, though, that... You actually did the survey and mm-hmm. found out that they're yep. okay with more of the 39%. Yeah, I'd have to pull it to see, you know, percentages and so forth, but it wasn't like all the conservative CPAs were against that or set, anything no. like that. Nope. The one that people would be more open toward, and what Bernie and Biden have, have both talked about is capital gains being taxed at that top rate as well, because right now, capital gains, the top rate on, on them is 20%. There is kind of an Obamacare kicker of 3.8% that brings it up to close to 24%, but they would match up the capital gains with the ordinary income rates, so like rates on wages. Um, Biden would do that at incomes over a million dollars. Bernie would do that at incomes over $250,000. So, and again, we're talking about 39.6% Biden would get to. Once someone's over a million bucks, they'd pay that on the capital gains. And Bernie would end up getting to 52% on those capital gains as well. So I wonder if there'd be like a run on the market. In that oh, case, you're absolutely where Right before would, that oh, takes gosh, effect, yeah. everybody would quick... Sell, sell, sell. So would that be enough volume to drive down prices overall in the market to move the market on the uh, the sell side? I think you introduced two things there. Your first question, is there a run on the market? Yes, absolutely. There would be before that happened. I mean, even before the Trump reform, you know, he was limiting state taxes as an example. And a lot of people went in to prepay their property taxes. I did. I showed up at the courthouse on December 31st. 2000, and that was 17, right? And I prepaid my pro- uh, property taxes when that went into, into play. Um, with with Bernie, absolutely people are going to sell, but I wouldn't doubt if those people turn right around and buy back into the market. Um, so I don't so know. So realize the prices. gain at yep. the lower capital gains exactly. tax rate. Exactly. And then basically reset their basis. Future gains. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I could absolutely say a lot of that would happen. So. Fascinating. Yeah, yeah. So that's one thing you have. Now, smart tax move too. Now, an interesting thing, you know, as we sit here, um, there was kind of the Super Tuesday too. Was yesterday. It really looks like Biden is probably going to get the nomination at this point in time. So that's why we're going to bring in some of his plans. But I mean, Bernie's plans. These are not. So I'm, I'm going to doubt we're going to see these anytime soon. But you know, a guy like Bernie, if he doesn't get, um, if he doesn't get the, the nomination now, you know, someone that has a little bit more socialistic viewpoints could be getting this nomination and could become president if it's not in 2020, in 2024, 2028, or something like that. Actually, I'm going to be president. <laughs> You're going to be president. Well, I'm going to run in 2024. <laughs> it won't start till 2025, but that's right. Just so you know. Okay, we'll have to talk Ben what his tax plans are. We're going to have to. Uh, we're going to have to come up with them. I'll need a tax advisor. That could be. Don't, un- don't unveil them right now. You might tick off a bunch. You're going to tick off half of our listeners with whatever your tax plan. Is. But interestingly, so that's so di- the, the tax on dividends, which again preferential right now at twenty percent, especially for the wealthy, would go up to close to forty percent under Biden's plan, fifty-two percent under Bernie's plan. Again, in the survey that I did to CPAs, there is support for that 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 rate could be raised. So a lot of even the CPAs felt like just that rate was unnecessarily low. So if we're looking at areas to generate revenues. So not, not, I'm not saying there's full support on this one, right? I don't have any statistics handy, but that was an area that people were more open to discussing. Cool. Yep. So that's one of them. Now, a lot of different things. So stock trades, we were kind of bringing up, we were bringing up that one earlier. So Bernie is talking about canceling student debt, providing free tuition. I think the cost of that was going to be $2.4 trillion over a 10-year period. A lot of how he was going to pay for that was imposing a half percent tax on stock trades. All right, mm. half percent tax on the buy, and then another half percent on the sell. So basically, if you're buying and selling a thousand dollars worth of stock, ten dollars of that is going to taxes. Wow, it would be lower on bonds and would be lower on derivatives as well. Is that for individuals only, or that would, would that be, include like pension funds and? 
It's a good um, institutional investors that are buying, you know, lots and hundreds of millions of dollars. Worth. I do not know that. I would have assumed it was everyone in that one. So I'd have to go back and see if All he trades. had that written down. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. All trades. So he's looking at raising over $2 trillion over a 10-year period on that one. But hmm. I can say I don't get as excited about that one. <laughs> that would, <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, I mean, I love trading just because it's kind of fun to yep, do. Yep. So that would discourage me a little bit mm -hmm. um, from trying to make the trades, which I don't know if it would discourage people enough, but the fear, and this going back to like passive and active investing, very loosely related to this piece mm -hmm. here. Um, passive investing, if everybody were just a passive investor, there were no active investors, then the market wouldn't move very often. Mm -hmm. or wouldn't be able to react to news very well. Mm -hmm. You need those active investors to, oh, here's something happened, buy or sell, right? Mm -hmm. Make a decision to help push the price in the right direction. Yeah. And so if there's a, a restriction or somehow limiting people from trading, mm -hmm. um, if it's a financial fee, something like that, then, mm -hmm. then maybe the markets wouldn't be as efficient. Not, then again, Interesting way to a, look at, a yeah. 0.5%, or you said a half a percent. Half a percent on both sides. Of I don't think that's going to be enough to actually make that happen, but yeah. it's just theory. It's always going to put think day traders things. out of business is one thing. I mean, not completely, but the people that are just trying to get really slim margins on things. So, And I mean, that's actually Bernie was attacking them, saying that they were some of the ones that caused even the recession that we had 10 years ago. But, high uh, frequency traders might be High frequency traders, too, yeah. That might have been the, the term that you actually mm -hmm. used in there when I was thinking of that with, with day trading, kind of. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's another one. There's, there's a few of them here, so hitting them a little quick, uh, more quickly. <laughs> so stop going so uh, off topic. No, 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 fine. I was just going to tell you, I, I've, I've got a few of these here. Um, he wants to raise Social Security benefits. I think it was going to be about an extra, uh, maybe it was about 1300 bucks a month he was trying to raise Social Security benefits. Going to pay for that one by putting, uh, by, by not limiting Social Security taxes. So currently, on the first roughly $133,000 worth of your income, you pay 6.2% Social Security taxes and one point. 0.45% Medicare. When it got uh, when it gets above that limit, then you only pay the Medicare piece, no longer the Social Security taxes. Bernie would start those up again. So it would be one thing that he would do, and it would actually be once people hit. So it looks like there's a grace period from 133,000 to 250 grand where you wouldn't pay so, uh, Social Security taxes, but at 250 grand you would pay Social Security taxes again. That's 6.2%. And that gets huge on people that then have incomes into the tens of millions of dollars. So that they're mm. paying an extra 6.2 on that. Biden would also cut, still cut it off at the 133 grand, but he would kick that back in once people reach 400 grand of income. Okay. Yep. So huh. I think it's, that's an interesting one. Yeah. Does the max benefit for those who kick in? Then I wonder if that would go up as well. That's a good question. <laughs> and I'm betting here yeah. they're probably saying no, right? Because mm -hmm. otherwise, then yeah. the max, that would just, in theory, the max benefit would mm -hmm. just use up that additional contribution. But mm -hmm. So I'm betting the answer would probably, probably be no in that case. But, at that point. Um, but interesting. I, th I think that is something that we're going to see when I teach the tax class. I said at some point in time when they're thinking about revenue raisers, that I think we are going to see something to that regard. But uh, mm -hmm. it's just a matter of when it comes and at what income level it comes up. So... The next one that I wanted to uh, chat about, this is a big one, is the net worth tax. All right. Elizabeth Warren also talked about this one, but Bernie would put in a 1% net worth tax on a married couple who had a net worth of $32 million. Uh, this is an annual net worth tax that would go up as high as 8% annually to people once they hit the 10 billion range. All right. So, um, and his stated goal on that is to decrease the wealth of the top 0.1% by half over the next 15 years. That is his stated goal on that one. How so, did he get into how you calculate net worth? Uh, well, yeah, yeah, they, um, you basically will have valuations that have to be done and billionaires, he said a hundred percent of those will be audited. So they'll actually just have to go get valuations of their privately held businesses. Cause obviously valuations of public held business is easy, right? So when we're talking Elon Musk, you know, or Jeff Bezos, they just look at the, what's the value of the Tesla stock they hold or the Amazon stock they hold, but private businesses, uh, would have to have valuations done on them. So. I feel like that ended up being a fairly significant tax on a lot of small business owners that maybe have a lot of capital tied up or net worth tied up in their business, but it's not necessarily mm -hmm. liquid net worth. Yeah. And you say I, small business, it kicks in at $32 million for married. So it's like, when do you draw the line at small business, I guess? Yeah, what counts? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And how we, what are we looking at for a revenue multiple? Your favorite <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, an interesting one on this is that, um, and then the, the brackets are going to be cut in half for single person. So I actually computed, I went through the math on this one, that Elon Musk is currently single. And, it, you know, how much is he worth depends on how much Tesla stock is at that day, whether he's worth 30 or 60 mm -hmm. billion or whatever. But I think at the time I first looked at this, he was worth 40 billion. And so he'd be paying roughly about $3 billion of net worth tax per year. It's not just a flat 8%, it's graduated and everything. But if he was married, his net worth tax would go down by $100 million per year. So I'm just saying that Elon Musk is uh, going to have an incentive to get married. There you so, go. Maybe that's really what they're trying to did, do. Did we talk about this one once before? Did I talk no. about this? Maybe I shared it in my tax class. But uh, So Elon Musk, currently taking applications. <laughs> so, Mary Elon Musk. There you yeah. go. Yep. That's a fascinating one. I think I think, in like actual application would be very, very difficult to, mm -hmm. uh, to figure out the net worth of everybody, essentially. Mm -hmm. Now, so if a student has a negative net worth, say they graduate with a bunch of student debt and no assets, yeah. do they get a benefit then? Maybe if they have a negative net worth of over $32 over million, dollars, million. But it, okay. it kicks in inversely as right. well. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. You know, I'm not, a, this one, some of these I'm more open to. This one I'm not as big on. You know, I start to think of this private business owners even, uh, you know, family-owned businesses. Um, and I know some of them are billionaires, but they're just, so we have some, you know, massive businesses, the Cargill company here in, in, in Minnesota, that we would, they'd either have to start selling off shares of their family-owned business. Some of these are 100% family-owned, so now they got to dilute ownership out of their family, or, which I think has just some different issues there, you know, I just, you're getting control away from your family, or slow down your capital investment, and, and instead of capital investment, shut that valve off and pull out dividends to pay tax. And mm. whenever we're slowing down significant capital investment, I think that can hurt the economy. So that uh, gets me nervous about this one. So it's so a liquidity concern is kind of what you're thinking of. Yeah. These people what do you have to not, sacrifice well, in order I to mean, get it, that liquidity? Yeah, I mean, Elon Musk isn't sitting there with you know $3 billion on hand. So he could sell shares of Tesla, right? But even for some of these people that control their companies, that now all of a sudden they have to sell shares off and now they lose control of their company as well, which is, uh, I don't know. And that's even harder for private companies. Yeah. Public oh, companies, absolutely. there's a market for the shares, yeah. but private companies, what yep. do you do? Yep. What is, uh, does Joe Biden want to do something like this? Joe Biden, I don't think he would do a net worth tax at all. No, 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 they call it, uh, Bernie calls it extreme wealth tax. Biden would not do this one. Cool. Um, another interesting one that Bernie does, I think I have, I could, I'll, I think I'll do two more of these, but uh, is that if you're, if your CEO makes an excessive amount, that your corporate income tax rate will increase. Studies have shown that CEOs in the S&P 500 make about 300 times what the median worker makes. All right, so that's, you know, whether or not you think that's excessive or they're worth it, you make your own opinion on that one. Bernie thinks that's excessive. So he is going to increase the corporate tax rate on companies that pay their CEOs excessive amounts. Again, the, uh, the median is about 300 times, all right? If you hit the 50 times, if you pay your CEO 50 times the median worker pay, your corporate tax rate goes up a half percent, if you, and that just gradually goes up that if you pay your CEO more than 500 times median worker pay, your corporate tax rate goes up 5%. So, and I should tag onto that, both of these guys are looking at increasing the corporate tax rate from the current 21%. Biden would go up to 28%, Bernie would go up to 35 and then add these surtaxes on as well. Wow. And see, that's an interesting one because um, S&P, or not S&P, any publicly traded company, they have to disclose and even put it mm -hmm. to a shareholder vote, and it's not a binding, but an advisory shareholder vote, um, what their CEOs and top executives make. And mm -hmm. so it is public knowledge what they make, but... When I was looking at this, what I found is that most of the time, those shareholders vote in favor of the executive oh, compensation sure. package. And there are, yeah. there are exceptions to that, but the majority of the time, mm -hmm. um, the people who vote on that say, yep, it's good. <laughs> so yeah. it's, a, it's an interesting one. Yeah, it's, but that, these would be some big dollar amounts at this point in time. If you start increasing your your tax by by five percent, you know what would people? Uh, yeah, after people it's already up from twenty one to thirty five. Yeah, increase it by five percent. Now you're at forty percent corporate mm. tax rate. Yeah, exactly. That so, might change some votes. <laughs> it, it absolutely could. That's a lot of a lot of money there. So those are the those are kind of some of the main ones. I mean, in, in the healthcare side of things, I mean that's just kind of a whole separate animal that way. I mean healthcare. 
Uh, Medicare for all might cost close to $50 trillion. And he's talked about how he was going to pay for that one. Some of it through the corporate rate, some of it taxing capital gains, some of it he would cap itemized deductions at 50 grand. All right. That's an interesting one for charitable people who currently, um, you know, for people that might make $100 million a year. Tom Steyer, I think he makes $100 million, gives away $15 million a year. Um, now he only gets to deduct 50 grand of that. Does that impact his charitable giving? Um, there would be a, uh, individuals would get free health care, but then if they made up to 29 grand, they would not pay any, uh, any premiums. Once you make over 29 grand, you have kind of like a 4% tax. Employers would not, not pay any uh, pay in if they had under a million dollars of payroll. Once they're over a million dollars of payroll, they kind of are paying in 7.5% of the wages uh, is what they would pay in, but they're not paying healthcare costs. So whether or not that would be cheaper or more expensive for people, and basically the employers depends on really how high those income levels get. Um, Fascinating. And the final one, the estate tax threshold. Estate taxes currently are about 40% once you hit 11 million of estate taxes. Bernie would drop the threshold to three and a half million and the estate taxes would get as high as 77% um, when the estates were in, um, I don't know if that one was in the one to 10 billion range. It might've been at the 10 billion range. So, so it's a graduated. Yep, yep. But so. Jeff Bezos for the 130 billion, he dies and his estate has to pay a hundred billion dollars in estate tax. Basically sell off all of his shares. Wow. So yeah. that is nuts. So I don't know what that would do to a market. Uh, it's like really Amazon, interesting. If all of a sudden there's you know hundred billion dollars worth of Amazon shares mm -hmm. for sale, mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. uh, that's fascinating. That's like control of the company. That's about it. So, um, I don't know. I'm on I'm on BernieSanders.com, which I think is his actual site. Bernie Tax. I was looking at that before. Mm -hmm. It says on the bottom very clearly. This is not affiliated with Bernie Sanders at all. It's oh, just um, interesting. So yeah, it's just somebody who wanted to try it, and it looks pretty slick, actually. But I thought the one I did was direct through Bernie's site, but maybe I, I have to go back and, and check the one it that out, I'm so. looking at, BernieSanders.com, it agrees exactly with yeah. what you were saying for those percentages with the corporate rates. Mm -hmm. It says McDonald's would have paid an extra 110 million in taxes. Yeah. Walmart, 800 million roughly. J.P. Morgan Chase about a billion in taxes. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, significant dollar amounts, like you said. Yeah, they definitely are. But uh, I don't know. That's... I don't. Again, I don't think we're going to see that right away with Bernie. But uh, certainly, um, assuming that Biden gets the nomination at this point, the debates involving uh, Trump and Biden when they talk about tax policy, they'll be pretty hot. Um, not nearly as hot as they would have been if it was Trump versus Sanders, which I guess could still happen. But uh, we never know. No, we won't. <laughs> so, and I think the last thing is Trump is talking about a payroll tax cut to try to offset kind of the economic impact of the coronavirus. And he's actually talking about eliminating payroll taxes for the rest of the year. So basically, employers wouldn't pay them, employees, employees wouldn't pay them either. There's some precedent for payroll tax cuts. We go back to Obama back coming out of the recession, but I believe he only cut it by 2%. And uh, just to give a little bit more money in people's, uh, in people's pocketbooks. Hmm. So I, I doubt... Well, we'll do you know do... what the rates are right now? Well, I think it's just, I think he's talking about the 7.65% would go away. Okay. But that would be cut down to zero. Whereas Obama cut that 7.65% basically down to, I believe it was 5.65%. I like the idea of not having that coming out, mm. but at the same time, what are we going to use then to pay for? <laughs> How are we going to pay for whatever? Well, it's going to be increasing debt, right? Yeah, for. that's yeah. kind of the that's the risk that way. The you know, some people might say it increases consumption, and there's ta you know certain taxes on consumption, but that's where it gets really tough with the economic models. That's fascinating. Yeah. We'll see if the payroll tax. Nobody happens. really knows. No. Nobody really knows what it's going to be. Exactly. But all right. uh, well, that's all I got on tax day. Ben has grabbed a pillow and took a nap for a few minutes of that. All this. I'm tax sorry. Stuff. We're doing a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that's right. One that I want to talk about. Getting back to the markets. Um, in particular, I believe it was Monday. Things went way down, right? Yeah, Monday they went down, Tuesday went up, today, mm -hmm. Wednesday going back down. So yep. tomorrow they must go up, right? <laughs> it's, it's either going to have one bad day followed by a good day, good day, or two bad days followed by a good day. So okay. I think I'm I think I'm sitting out the markets tomorrow. But if they go down tomorrow, I'm then jumping in at the end of Thursday tomorrow night. with an ETF okay. because then they're going okay. up Friday. Well, um, another thing that was driving down the markets on Monday. So coronavirus, like we've talked about. People are you know, more likely to stay in, global trade slowing down, logistics issues. So on the demand side in general, things are kind of being reduced with coronavirus. Well, oil and gas is a big part of that. Mm -hmm. And what we're seeing now is that Russia, Russia and Saudi Arabia are, uh, are 
they're, they're getting a little mad at each other. Mm-hmm. And that's ultimately going to end up driving up the supply of oil, crude mm-hmm. oil, mm-hmm. which... So you have a situation where the demand is going down, which less mm-hmm. demand usually means a decrease in price. Yeah. And then you also have the supply going up. Wow. And in general, supply going up means a decrease in price. Mm-hmm. We have both of those factors going together, mm-hmm. which means oil prices were really tanking, which was contributing to the downfall of the market on Monday. And I think the story of what happened with Russia and Saudi Arabia is kind of interesting, which is what I want to talk about here. All right. Um, so OPEC nations, or OPEC plus, when it includes Russia in this case, they work together to control the world's supply of oil as best they can mm-hmm. anyway. Um, with like the U.S. doing a lot of drilling, they can't control everything, but they can have a very significant impact on it. And what the dispute, Russia and Saudi Arabia, not partners you think would happen very often, um, but they were together on this because the Saudis rely on oil, Russia relies a lot on oil, mm-hmm. and so, okay, we can work together on this to figure it out. Um, but the dispute is that Russia was saying, you know what, we're sick of limiting our production of oil to try and drive up the price, limiting the supply to drive up the price. And they felt, Russia felt that by doing that, they were just giving away market share to the United States sure. and companies in the United States that mm-hmm. aren't as efficient at producing oil as Russia is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so their argument was, no, we're better at this than the U.S. We should produce our, enough oil and then the U.S. companies can't keep up with us mm-hmm. and uh, they'll be out of the market and we'll be better off down the road. Sell more, maybe at a little lower price because supply is up, but we sell more, maybe it gets offset, maybe we come out ahead. Exactly. Kind of the Walmart model. Yeah. Right? Okay, we're not going to charge the highest mm-hmm. price, we're just going to sell more of it and we're going to make money because of that. And that, I mean, then the question gets into, so are U.S. companies going to go out of business for good if that mm-hmm. would happen, or are they just going to kind of go dormant for a while, mm-hmm. and then once the price tends to increase, then they'll jump back into the market. And so mm-hmm. there's no guarantees, right, that any of this is going to happen. Um, so Russia was getting upset that Saudi Arabia was saying, okay, let's lower the production, lower the production, keep the price higher. And eventually, they got so mad at each other that they broke out and they said, fine, we're not going to you know, work on this together. And Saudi Arabia said, you know what? We are going to flood the market with oil <laughs> and just drive up production as much uh-huh. as they can uh-huh. um, and saying, fine, you know, this is what we're going to do. And then Russia, you're going to get hurt as a result of this. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's fine, right? We're not working together anymore. So that's your problem. And we have plenty of oil. We're going to do all right. We'll, you know, mm-hmm. we'll feel it too, but mm-hmm. we're going to survive a little bit with it. So um, I just thought it was kind of funny that, you know, there was a little little tiff about this. And I don't even remember we talked about Saudi Aramco uh, yep. when they went public, public or yep. a portion of them went public. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to start providing customers with 12.3 million barrels a day, which is a 26% increase wow. on output. So they're wow. increasing their output by 26%. Yeah. And because then it's not piling on enough, um, they're going to give steep discounts to any customers in Europe because most of Russia's customers are in Europe as well. Mm-hmm. So basically they're going after, so they're done playing nice for now anyway, and they're going after Russia because they can't agree on what to do with this. Question on that, I don't know if you know the answer or not, you can defer it if you need to, but you know why that would hurt the markets? Then I, I look at that one, I mean, because we, we have a we have a big increase in supply I think of that from a consumer standpoint, and I like that, right? Consumers, it's going to lower the yep. cost of gas, right? But why does it hurt the markets in general? Do you have a thought, or are we going to shelve that one? I That's a deeper question. Okay. I think the gist of it is oil and gas companies are so big, mm-hmm. and they're if they're not making enough money to okay, keep going, okay. then that's going to hurt their overall employment in the market oh, and okay. drive down sure, spending. Sure, sure. And if they're not hitting their debt obligations, things like that, okay. it can okay. drive it down. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's you're looking at the lot. Fortune 500 or something like that. I mean, mm-hmm. just a lot of the oil and gas companies up top there. And it's mm-hmm. deeper than that for mm-hmm. sure, but um, mm-hmm. not something that I really want to get into today. Well, it for a more detailed discussion about that. Right? There we so go. The impact of oil prices on markets. It's just, yeah, it's just fascinating trying to work together, but can't quite work together enough to make it uh, worth everybody's time. Mm -hmm. So that's what I had on that one. All right. I've got a... 
I've got one that I looked into and I got to give a, a shout out to my daughter, Sophia, her friend, Carlos Borgert. I think that's how I pronounce his last name. He goes to the, the high school with her and they have some sort of creative writing class where they have an assignment to do a podcast on a topic of their choosing. And I think Carlos is interested in finance and business. Wait, they're doing a podcast? They are, and I talked to Sophia about this. Why is a podcast in the creative writing class? And she says, well, it's just another form of communication. So it's kind of the principles. you got to be creative in your podcast. And she said, these are shorter. They'll probably average 10 minutes in length. So a lot of people might even write them out. So using creative writing and just kind of read off their podcast, not just kind of reading off notes like we do. Well, I was thinking we should have them come here and oh, join our podcast. That's right. I think you'd be right. creative and put it all planned for us we, to see what we're talking about. You know, we, we might get back to that one, definitely. But mm, uh, They'd probably be better at it than we are, though. <laughs> so we might, might lose, put us, uh, lose put our us market. Out of business. Yeah. So, so Carlos reaches out to me. He's either a junior or senior at the prep school here on campus and asks if we can discuss the case of Greg Lindbergh. And I said, well, I, I got to figure out who Greg Lindbergh is. So kind of Googled it. And uh, Greg was just found guilty this week of, uh, of bribing, basically, with politicians and is facing up to 20 years in prison. So I wanted to study this uh -oh. one a little bit more. And it, yeah, uh-oh, uh <laughs> so I wanted to study this more. And this was a fascinating one, actually. So there was a great article in the Wall Street Journal. The Wall Street Journal, they've got some investigative reporters who really do some, some good stuff there. Um, I suppose if you're on the receiving end of that, you don't think that they're so good. But this is the same Wall Street Journal, um, not the same reporter, but kind of the same group that broke the Theranos story, Elizabeth Holmes, mm -hmm. and kind of that blood testing scandal. But so Greg Lindbergh, now this is an interesting one. So he said he wanted to, you know, have more cash available for investing. So what he decided to do was to buy insurance companies and life insurance companies in particular. For example, he was able to pay $22 million to buy a life insurance company that had $170 million worth of assets. All right. Now, the liability side of that is, you know, it's going to be just a lot of these accrued liabilities, expected payouts and everything. All right. Mm -hmm. But he spends 22 million to get something that has 170 million of assets. All right. Mm -hmm. Now, those assets are just invested in government bonds or something safe. All right. But you can kind of follow this one. What do you suppose Greg does with this $170 million of assets? I'm guessing he's going to invest it in very, very risky securities. Whatever he wants, right? Mm -hmm. And when you say very risky securities, he invested it kind of to grow his own business is what he did. So, so he used it as a source he, of capital for his he, own exactly, business? Exactly, exactly. So he paid $22 million to get access to $170 million of capital. Aren't there a bunch of statutory limitations, <laughs> statutory rules on what you're allowed to invest in and liquidity requirements and things like that? See, Ben and I did not practice with the one I said, just follow it. You're going to go right on because you're out of this. Yes, there are. Okay. And in, in general, um, there's restrictions on how much you can invest in affiliated entities is the term. All mm -hmm. right. And most companies, insurance companies, will only invest about a percent into affiliated companies. All right. Which in that situation, if we use Greg's math, then he paid $22 million and he only gets access to $1.7 million of capital. All right. So you're not going to do it. You can go up to, and this is in some jurisdictions, up to 10%, all right? So he paid $22 million, and now he's got access to $17 million of capital, which still doesn't make sense, except when you start negotiating with the politicians. And this is what has apparently happened in North Carolina, that they can make exceptions for these things. And Greg actually was allowed to spend up to 40%. All right, and, of these assets. And so just so everyone knows, the, the reason for these rules is that you don't want all of a sudden, say some people die. They had paid life insurance mm -hmm. their whole year and then they die and they're ready for their payout, but they turn to the insurance company to receive their payout and oh, there's no more assets because Greg lost it all in his business or exactly. they're all tied up and it's not liquid enough. So exactly. The people who've been exactly. paying in for years are the potential losers if things don't work out for Greg. Yep, exactly, exactly. So he negotiated with the politicians that he could get up to about 40%. How do you suppose he negotiated with the politicians, Ben? <laughs> well, it was a bribery <laughs> issue. So I think he probably, maybe he, he made an investment. <laughs> we'll yep. He used some of that some of those millions and uh, yeah. and paid them off. And this wasn't necessarily cash that went right into their pocket. That's one side of the bribe, but instead he made donations to their campaign funds, which, you know, that, I, that, that could be be just the same for, for some of those people, right? If they're going to use that for elections, 
Now, it's interesting. He did that with one party. I'm going to leave the party's names out of it, but both the Democrats and Republicans have been involved in this one. He did it with one party. This was more back in the 2016 time frame. And then the new party got involved. And so then the old party, you know, he kind of made some contributions to them. And the old party, yeah, just kind of looking the other way. He got above 40%. He actually went about, a little bit above 50% of the investments were in affiliated entities. So then, and then the party he was making contributions to lost. So the new party comes in. So now what do you suppose you have to do? You, uh, well, one, pay the new party. Yeah. But I'm wondering if he's... I'll just say pay the new party. Yeah. That's what I would Change go with. Change your relations, basically, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So now turn around, trying to pay the new party. And in fact, you know, he, he tried to... Well, they, they actually have an elected position. It's an insurance commissioner. This is in North Carolina. So tried to give cash directly to the new insurance commissioner. That person returned it. So instead, he went right to their main political party in North Carolina, said, here's a large sum of money. Oh, by the way, why don't you give some to the insurance commissioner? And they actually did take it at that point in time. They may have subsequently returned it but the new insurance commissioner did um, you know, return it before they got caught or after it's a little unclear because okay. it, it, this is I'm sure they would say after right but these are politicians I don't trust any of them but uh, mm -hmm. and yeah we did that um, survey a few weeks ago yeah, right? only the public thinks that about 10% of politicians are honest but uh, anyway so they they went into it and the, and the new the new commissioner you know saw some stuff going on and decided to start decided to start cooperating with the FBI to investigate it. So the FBI got involved. The new commissioner actually wore a wiretap when Greg was uh, was basically saying, I can give you millions of dollars if you basically get your people off my back. This one got pretty staggering. So, I mean, and he actually got to the tune of about $700 million that he that was being invested because of this, uh, um, because of this structure. And then an additional $1.3 billion where he would sell annuities. Uh, to people promising future payments and mm -hmm. then make investments. A couple final things on this one that are interesting. Some of the investments are into a group of companies. So he has companies that actually kick off $3 billion worth of revenue, right? Now, there's so some more risk. Be, yeah, that's what I'm getting at. Will he be able to repay the insurance company? There's been some defaults, but he's personally reimbursed them because he had a net, he had a net worth of a couple billion dollars. So when there has been defaults, because you basically have these insurance companies are making loans to his affiliated companies. If they, and he has over 100 of these affiliated companies. When they failed, he's just kicked in the cash because he's worth a couple billion. But could this whole thing fall apart is what we're really worried about. And these annuities, 1.3 billion of annuities that he sold to people, he collected the cash. And with a promise to probably pay him in retirement or sometime later, he's now also using those to fund his personal ventures. So it's a couple billion dollar uh, scandal that's going on in this situation. Wow. But That is fascinating. Yeah, it's, it's a big what, one. What's his incentive? What do you think? Oh, well, I mean, he's just trying to build an empire. It's one, and I'm sure it's just trying to, to, to build as much wealth. When you talked about incentive... Part of it, he's living a large lifestyle. He has multiple luxurious homes. This is where it's starting to get pretty rough. And again, this guy's been guilty, right? And they're going through the appeals process. It just happened. But he's had multiple homes that have been purchased, a gorgeous yacht that's been purchased, tens of millions, a Gulfstream jet that's been purchased as well with these funds. And he was trying to say that these were actually business investments because he could let other people stay at the homes and other people use the yacht and the jet. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the last thing I want to say on this one is he actually tried to get around this one, all right, because you can't have affiliated entities, so he tried to get around that by setting up with a law firm special purpose vehicles. I hear that. The hair on the back of my neck stands up because that's what happened in Enron. Yep, my Arthur Anderson buddies special lost interest, their jobs. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the special interest vehicles, he does not own the vote of them, but he owns the financial interest in them. He worked with a law firm to set these up, and it's the law firm who got paid handsomely in fees to set these up. These are the ones that have the vote in these special interest vehicles, but not the financial interest. So instead, the insurance company makes the loan to the special purpose entity that then makes the loan off to Greg's uh, affiliated entities. And they say that now he is... You know, the insurance entities are not making loans to affiliated entities. So that's one way that they're trying to get wow. around that. That's so. fascinating. Actually, that would be kind of cool if you're working for the FBI mm -hmm. to kind of identify the structures and, you know, trace the cash and see where it's coming from and how it's going. Yeah. That is fascinating. Yeah. One. So, so until we continue, I'm going to meet with Carlos this weekend, and uh, we're going to go through this one in more detail and uh, see what questions Carlos has we'll for me. see what happens. Yeah. Sure, cool. Carlos will listen to this. So, hey, man, thanks for the great idea.
<laughs> did you have one uh, that you wanted to hit, or did you want to shelf your fraud one? I wanna, I wanna get to my favorite segment. Are you right with that? I am. You ready? update! <laughs> we almost missed it, but we got it. We almost did. Yeah. That's right. I love the local update. It's mm-hmm. fun, especially mm-hmm. when things are going so well on yeah. campus. Yeah, they well, they really are. So, do you want to start? Uh, you know, on the on the basketball front of things, because they've we, just we, been dominating. They're on a tear. Regular season champions, Mayak mm-hmm. conference champions, now Sweet 16 finally mm-hmm. won their first two playoff games, the NCAA playoff games last weekend. Um, Saturday nights in particular was quite a bit of fun um, who, against Eau Claire, right? Eau Claire yep. was a good team, we're a good team, so it's, mm-hmm. they're fun games right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got a big matchup this coming weekend against St. Thomas, but we're at home. And I heard uh, tickets to the public sold out like instantly. Did they really? Yeah. Okay. That's what a student told me today. Well, for people that are listening on board, uh, I picked up six tickets. So I only Ooh. need two of them. So I've got four extra. I suppose mm-hmm. I can't scalp them for money. So Why not? Me- well, I could probably scalp them for the exact price or something like that, right? But if I tried to profit on them, I don't know. Is that well, illegal? I don't think it's illegal. I think it, it used to be. Because remember there was like a Viking scandal where somebody was trying to mm-hmm. profit from ticket sales. But I, I think it's okay now, actually. Okay, gotcha. But I don't know. Maybe if someone... Uh, yeah, I mean, if you buy tickets on like StubHub, would that be like everybody on StubHub is doing something illegal? I don't know if it's illegal? bad for me to scalp Johnny Chicks. That just sounds bad. It does. I'm just Why don't gonna... you give them away as prizes? I think I should. So the person who, yeah, I should say the people who say the nicest thing about our podcast, right? <laughs> but uh, something, uh, something like that. We'll, we'll, I'll figure out something. Or it might just be a couple friends that call me and say they want to come to the game. Uh-huh. But yeah, we, we went on a couple double dates, didn't we? Yeah. So to the game. yeah call it double dates. <laughs> Our I'll, 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 buy, I'll buy my wife a hot dog at the game, maybe some Doritos, mm-hmm, <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, it's a double date. We're Friday right. night and Saturday night, the yeah. drink is a bathroom, double dating, back-to-back nights. Our That's wives true. are lucky. We That's took them out. True. We sat in the front row of both games, so what more could they ask for? You know, we treat them well. Yes. We, treat them, uh, we should bring them on, see what they say about it, maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, they might say some of that's okay as long as we uh, do some other uh, non-athletic stuff. Can, well. can we do a little sidebar here? Yeah, it's, it's um, this local update. We can right, do whatever we, we do want. Whatever we want whatever you want to do. Right. So Friday night before the game, mm-hmm. Carrie and I went and got pizza at Sliced. Okay. The Pepidou. Pineapple Pepidou. Not to be with Casey's good. Pizza. <laughs> no, not to be... And that's the other thing. So on Saturday night before the game, we were uh, having a drink with some people, and we ordered pizza from Gary's. Mm -hmm. So we're at two nights in a row. Mm -hmm. Then um, Monday night, we got together. We decided, all right, let's go get pizza from Little Caesars. Mm -hmm. And then last night, $10 Tuesday at Papa Murphy's. So of my last five dinners, Mm -hmm. four of them have been pizza from different places and not Casey's. You should do Casey's tonight, and then you should rank all five. How would Maybe. you rank the four that you just had? Could you rank, like, is there one that jumped out as the best? Yes. Sliced Gary's Little Caesars and, I'm would you say put, Papa Murphy's? I'm going to put, yep, I'm going to put Gary's first. Cause, really? Yeah. Wow. wow. Yeah. You hear it's that, Gary's? Delicious. Gary's yeah. the number one. No. Sliced was, it actually probably had the best flavor, mm-hmm. but there was, like, Canadian bacon underneath it. So when you take a bite, like, the whole top <laughs> slides off sometimes. Yeah. The, yeah. the cheese didn't bond with the crust yep. <laughs> or the sauce. Mm-hmm. So it was great flavor. But I'm going to put it um, at number two because mm-hmm. it was just kind of annoying to eat. And yes. then uh, number three, I'm actually going Little Caesars. Okay. And Papa Murphy's would probably be top two usually. Mm-hmm. But my wife loves um, like non-traditional, I like red sauce, like a marinara yep. sauce. Yep. And she likes getting other kinds of sauces and stuff So she like got that. something weird. I don't know if it was good. like a ranch or something like that. And it was yeah. okay. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I'm not a big sun-dried tomato guy myself. Oh, it just was yeah. kind of plain and blah to me. So mm-hmm. that's the order. Wow. There you go. That's impressive to know. I'm surprised Gary's came in number one, but good for them. Yeah. Surprised they beat the slice. Slice had a better flavor, but it was just so annoying to eat. You have to do like a pepperoni or a sausage pizza at all five. Head to head to head to head to head. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That could be it. (laughs) All right. Thanks for letting me go on that sidebar. I appreciate it. Totally good with that. I'll pick up a Casey's pizza on the way home today. (laughs) Yeah. You got to keep the the streak going. So so we beat Rippin by 12. We were up by 30 that night against Rippin. I was totally sure that we were going to see the reserves with about five minutes to go. We were really excited for that. We liked some of the Mm -hmm. young guys. And then Rippin just out of nowhere came back and started draining threes. And we turned Mm -hmm. it over. And they cut it to within nine. They were throwing up crazy shots. and some. I wouldn't say I was ever stressed, but it's just it is less fun when we're up thirty and then it's a steady 
yeah, decreased down to nine. But, yeah. um, you know, maybe it did help because we definitely brought the intensity on Saturday. Mm-hmm. It was, yeah, they were fired up and playing well. Saturday was one of the most fun basketball games I've ever seen. Uh, we, we ended up beating Eau Claire by nine. The first half was very close. They were Eau Claire was up by about four for a lot of the first mm-hmm. half, and then we were up the second half by about five or six most of the second half and ended up winning by nine with free throws. But the two teams, probably especially in the first half, but they, the defensive intensity was so high. Mm-hmm. But they were just making crazy shots, each team was. So it was just awesome basketball to see, right? They're playing good defense, but they're making great shots. It was just perfect to watch. And it was a treat to watch both teams. And for the most part, it was pretty clean, too. They're letting yeah. them play. It mm-hmm. wasn't you know a ton of fouls or anything like that. Yep, yep. Yeah. So it was just massively intense. But uh, say so yeah, at home against St. Thomas, um, our accounting guy, Oakley Baker, put in 16. Uh, against Ripon, nine against Eau Claire. So Oakley represented us well. Every time he scored, we uh, showed off our accounting shirts that we were wearing. I love the celebrations. I love them. Do you want to talk about the accounting performer of Why the week not? right we're now? Because we're on the sport. Right now. So, so in particular, Saturday night against Eau Claire, we just kept feeding it over and over and over again to Zach Hansen, who ended up with 21 points. And it was physical down mm-hmm. there where, um, again, they were letting him play. And so they would match up with him one-on-one. And if they guard his right, he turns to the left. they guard his left, he turns to the right. And they, um, mm-hmm. they couldn't stop him. They did not have an answer to him. And so. when you say they couldn't stop him, did you see his final stat line as far as field mm-hmm. goals made and attempted? No. Any guesses how many shots he missed all night from the field? Five. Take another guess. <laughs> One. <laughs> Good guess, Ben. I was almost like I got a signal or something right. like that. Zach was ten or eleven from ten of eleven from the field. Wow. So, yeah, when you just yeah. shoot that many points, but on those few shots, I mean, that's just uh, that's really tough for the other team to match up with. It's yeah, mm-hmm. and it's tough, and that's the thing where if they double up on him, then down low, then you can just kick it out to. Yep. There's got to be an open man somewhere else, and. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just—it was awesome. It was yeah. a great game. So Zach Hansen is our accounting performer Woo! of the week. <laughs> Way to go, Zach! You can pick up your trophy from last week's winner. That's <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. We have a couple honorable mention accounting performers mm-hmm. of the week. It was a hard decision this week. There wasn't was three it? real viable candidates this week. Mm-hmm. Another guy who could have been a candidate. He's already won. So Drew Dockendorf. Now, you've actually met this guy, right? This mysterious yeah. Drew who yeah, I've not met Yeah, I was yet. just uh, helping out in a class, and mm-hmm. he was in the class. We didn't get to talk a lot, but um, I was very impressed. Somebody announced, I was asked for announcements, learned that from you, mm-hmm. and somebody announced that he had a great track meet, and uh, he just handled it very well, you know, very humble about it and everything like that. So mm-hmm. do you want to tell him about what he did? Yeah, I just make, I got to give quick credit to you. When you said you learned that you asked for announcements from me, I started it in the international finance class when you were a senior no one else was saying anything usually but you would have a good announcement he's usually propping up uh oftentimes josh sheberg your buddy who was doing well in swimming or something when josh like that. is that good at swimming yeah. he deserves to be propped off as much as we can totally so, so you're the one who really got it uh, got it started we partnered on it but so drew vaulted 16 and a half feet and uh, that's now ranks him second in the whole nation and he broke the record little you know, it's a little bittersweet because he broke Braden Wagner's record. And I was a huge Braden Wagner fan. Had him uh, in several classes. I was advisor, uh, kind of runs a family farm up in North Dakota right now. But he broke Braden's record. Braden said he was happy for him. Wow. So, good guy. But that means that an accounting major is breaking an accounting major's record. Isn't that pretty That's cool? That's the best way to do it. That's... I don't know how you get around that for accounting performer of the week. And yeah, you get around just... it because Drew was already the accounting performer for the week once, so we cut it off. You, the only thing cooler than an, one accounting major breaking another accounting major's record in a week, do you know what it is, Ben? Another <laughs> accounting major breaking another accounting major's record in a week. Absolutely. So last, last year, accounting finance major Max Jackson sent the St. John's baseball record for career run scored, he kind of broke the record. I don't think of an accounting major. I can't remember who that was. But this year it got broke by Wyatt Ulrich. And uh, Wyatt broke Max's record. Wyatt is also an accounting finance major. So he Man. broke it down in Florida. The team went 7-1 and one down there. And, uh, you know, played really well. Wyatt, uh, he was he's honorable mention. 
uh, County Performer of the Week. It was pretty tough not to give it to him, other than Zach's season is coming to a close a lot more quickly than Wyatt. Yeah, so we're, we're thinking, just getting started. We, we think we're going to give it to Wyatt before the year's over. And Drew's so. got a shot. Nationals coming up for That's him. True. He was uh, ranked second, right? We yeah. said in the pole vault yeah, right second now. second in the so. nation. Yeah. Well, Drew already won it once this year as well. Exactly. So we're trying to exactly. give it to new people. But uh, So, yeah, Wyatt had a great week. He actually hit 464 in those eight games with a 556 on base percentage. He might be the fastest man, one of the fastest men in the country. This is the stat. He had 13 hits, but he scored 17 runs. <laughs> so That and, is insane. Yeah, he also walked seven times. So he got on base 20 times and 17 of the times he scored. Now, of course, that's because he's got big old studs like Jack Schrammel, accounting major. Another accounting major. Another accounting major, you know, hitting behind him, getting a lot of RBIs. Uh, any other considerations for accounting performer of the week? I feel like I'm missing something. Well, yeah. we did a, a flashback honorable mention. You thinking of Stanley? No, I'm not. No, no. Well, Stanley, your honorable mention from last week where you got five strikeouts in three innings pitched. That was pretty good. Good. We what's, should have given him honorable mention last week. I don't think we mentioned that. What's another one that's not athletics related? Is it someone who's getting jobs? I don't think we have any arts going on right now. Are you thinking of uh, are you thinking of professors? Is that I, what I am thinking. Is? I am so. thinking. I heard some people are actually awarded um, a position as a full professor, and that actually happened after our podcast last week. But can you comment anything about that, Boz? Uh, I was awarded a position of full professor. <laughs> <laughs> You're actually co-accounting performer of the week this week. Mm-hmm. Um, this is breaking ground for the Ben and Bosch show. This is the first time we've had an accounting performer of the week actually here. <laughs> so can you go ahead and give a little speech? As long as you're here, why don't you uh, My little speech it, is that I, I just like to thank my department for giving me all the support. So I, I couldn't have done it without you. You know that that's true. Um, and I, we should also probably recognize Way, our professor Way, who got tenured this week. So she got the official news. She's another co-accounting performer of the week. She's also co-nicest person in the war in the world award <laughs> with, with Janine, with Janine Clark. That's so, right. Well ahead yeah. of the two of us. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Well deserved, Boz. Well, thank Glad you, very you much. got it. Yeah, I'll pick up my trophy. For yeah, you can pick up your trophy. <laughs> you can take it away from Zach. Good luck with that. Yeah, I, yeah, that wouldn't work too well. But uh, anyway, anything else you got, man? Or should we wrap it? That was it. We got a department meeting we got to go to, so we could drag this out. We could maybe miss the meeting, which would be all right. I but. enjoy our department meetings, Zach. It's kind of fun to <laughs> get everybody in the we room We have a together. nice department, that's right. We do. It's fun. All right, everybody. Well, thank you for tuning in to episode 33 of the Ben and Baz Show. We will be back next week to talk about finance and stuff we like. Bye, everyone.